Welcome to our next episode of the Sport Nutrition Series for High School Athletes. Uh, in this episode, we're going to get into a little bit of dietary supplements, uh, specifically ones related to performance, uh, not so much some of the more health-specific um, indices. So this is certainly a topic that I get asked a lot of questions about when I speak to athletes, uh, teams, and their parents. So a lot of a lot of athletes have you know, questions about different types of supplements. Do they work? Which ones should they choose? What are good brands? Are they safe? Uh, et cetera. So I'm going to try to cover a lot of the different questions that I, I frequently get asked. And certainly if you have more, you know, feel free to reach out and we can do kind of short follow-up episodes if we get any specific questions kind of related to this topic. So first off, when we discuss dietary supplements, it's, it's really important to kind of define what exactly are we talking about. So there is an official definition uh, kind of recognized by the Food and Drug Administration when we talk about dietary supplements. So technically they are defined as a product intended to supplement the diet kind of how it gets its name, and it contains a dietary ingredient. So there's actually a specific definition for what would constitute as a dietary ingredient as well. And so it has to be either a vitamin, mineral, herb, uh, some kind of botanical amino acid or concentrated substance, which could include certain enzymes, organ tissues, glandular extracts, and the list kind of goes on there. But I would say the top ones on this list are, are generally the more common uh, ingredients found in these types of dietary supplement products. So you can see, you know, a few examples here. I'm sure anyone who has walked into a GNC or any kind of supplement store has probably seen a plethora of different types of products on the shelves. And so, as you can imagine, there's a lot of different specific types of dietary supplements, a lot of different individual ingredients. Oftentimes, products or bland or brands, excuse me, will combine multiple ingredients into a single product. Uh, and so we'll talk about some of those issues as well. So one important distinction to make here when we're talking about dietary supplements, these are not performance enhancing drugs. Drugs or steroids, those are controlled substances, oftentimes banned by all sport organizations, uh, not sold over the counter. You either need a prescription or again, more frequently, they're, they're kind of purchased on the black market. So Again, those are all things that we're not really going to discuss today. So everything that will be discussed in this episode, again, are dietary uh, supplements. These are things that can be purchased over the counter. You don't need a prescription. Most of them are allowed by sport. Um, there's a few that maybe are sometimes discouraged, but oftentimes they're not outright banned by different sport organizations. And again, we'll talk about some of those issues later in this episode as well. So one important thing that I like to relay to individuals when they're considering taking different dietary supplement products is the regulation side of it. So technically, again, supplements are regulated, again, by the Food and Drug Administration. However, this is a post-market regulation, meaning at no point when a supplement is being manufactured or sold, do they have to submit evidence to the FDA demonstrating that that product is safe and or effective for human consumption. That's kind of the process that we see within the pharmaceutical industry. There's a very rigorous kind of pre-market regulation 
process uh, that takes place there. And we don't see that same level of protection or regulation within the dietary supplement industry. Um, there is, again, a post-market regulatory process, meaning if people get sick, if there's a, a long list of adverse events or issues that come up when people are regularly taking these products, the FDA may step in, investigate the situation, sometimes send cease and desist letters to certain supplement manufacturers, uh, mandating that they stop or reformulate their product or whatever the issue is, uh, you know, certainly address it before continuing selling that particular product. But again, this is kind of a, in my opinion, an area that really could improve upon in terms of the regulation side of it. So there are certain levels of risk that people take when they're consuming dietary supplements just because of some of the lack of regulation. So uh, the marketing claims uh, are regulated by another organization or another entity called the Federal Trade Commission or the FTC. So they're involved with regulating some of the marketing claims or labeling that you may see on some of these products. There's very specific language that companies have to use. Uh, you've probably seen this on different labels of products, You know, just making sure it's clear that that particular supplement or ingredient is not intended to be promoted for the treatment cure or prevention of a specific disease or condition. Um, oftentimes, companies or labels will stick to more structure and function structure and function claims, meaning um, they're kind of talking more theoretical in nature. So this particular ingredient, you know, may help with strength or recovery or uh, muscle gain or bone health, colon health, you know, whatever the kind of target tissue or organ or, you know, physiological system that it's targeting, they may have some language in there, but oftentimes it's going to be a little bit more vague or, or kind of superficial unless they have uh, more specific research and kind of clinical trial data supporting any specific claims that they could then include on their product. So again, just kind of a, a brief precursor to the dietary supplement world, the regulation and labeling. Another important thing to be aware of with, uh, again, labeling issues on dietary supplements and specifically how some of them are formulated is this idea that some products oftentimes list ingredients in something called a proprietary blend. So I have an example of this on this slide here. Uh, so what a proprietary blend is, it, it lists the ingredients that are included in that product. It just doesn't disclose the specific amounts of each ingredient. So um, again, there's certain risks that you may take because you might over consume a particular ingredient if you don't know how much is in that particular product or the other end of the spectrum, they may just have a dusting of that ingredient in the product and there's not an efficacious dose of that actual ingredient to, to do anything. So you're not experiencing or getting any of the benefit from that ingredient because it's underdosed in that product. But the reality is you're, you're just kind of left blind as the consumer because you, again, don't know how much of that actual ingredient is in there. So again, just something else to be aware of when choosing different products. I often try to recommend people stay away from those that include proprietary blends. Uh, again, oftentimes they may just list a kind of a laundry list of ingredients and then just kind of wrap it up as a proprietary blend. So again, you don't really know how much of each of those particular ingredients. Some of them could be different stimulant derivatives or again, kind of complex chemical formulas that you just may not know what they are or again, how much you might be taking. So we actually published a review of pre-workout supplements and we found that almost half of the the products on the market 
had proprietary blends on their label. So that's again, kind of alarming to see how common uh, that proprietary blend is within the industry. So if we kind of shift gears here a little bit and focus on, well, what are the most popular supplements? What are athletes typically taking? And then we'll kind of get into which ones are, are really the most effective or even worth considering taking. So within a collegiate athlete population, the most commonly consumed dietary supplements are protein, creatine, some kind of energy product or pre-workout, and then multivitamins, minerals, more immune health, and then kind of getting into amino acids, some use of weight loss or thermogenic type products, and then some more mass gainers. So these are kind of the more common dietary supplements that athletes are taking, similar trends that we see going down into the high school level, just not nearly uh, as high of usage rates within that younger population, which is, which is a good thing in my opinion. Uh, so another important thing that I like to kind of work with athletes on when they're considering taking a dietary supplement is, are, are they really needed? Is it going to work? Is it going to do anything for you based on the type of training that you do based on the type of athlete you are? Um, again, there, there was a nice uh, review paper that was published a few years ago where they actually included this decision-making tree. It's kind of difficult to read on this particular slide, but it just kind of walks through a step-by-step decision tree or kind of decision-making guide where, um, you know, at first ask, are there any relevant training variables to consider first or nutrition related variables? You know, could you get that ingredient in your diet? Uh, is it, is it, are the purported benefits of that ingredient in alignment with whatever your training goals or sport specific goals may be? Okay. Does it make sense for you to take that ingredient if it's more, um, you know, applicable to an endurance athlete and you're a shot putter, for example, is it safe? Has it been shown to be effective? Is there, you know, research studies supporting the use of that particular product or that ingredient? Are there any adverse reactions that are commonly associated with that ingredient? Is it allowed by that sporting organization and so forth? So these are kind of some important questions to ask along the way uh, before just walking into a nutrition or supplement store and asking the sales rep, because of course they're going to tell you, you need X, Y, and Z ingredient, and you need to stack them with, you know, X, Y, and Z, et cetera. So again, there's really, we'll, we'll get into this shortly, but there's really not a lot of supplements or individual ingredients that are going to offer a lot of advantages or performance benefits for athletes. The list is kind of shockingly small uh, compared to how many hundreds of thousands of, of supplements and ingredients are actually available on the market. So I would say maybe 20%, um, of all dietary supplements actually offer some kind of performance benefit. And when we talk about a performance benefit, it's probably only in the range of five, 10, maybe upwards to 15% um, in terms of its ability to improve maybe some kind of measure of strength or endurance or muscular endurance or power, et cetera. So these aren't doubling your strength gains, doubling the amount of muscle that you can put on. And we're not going to see these extreme improvements in performance and training adaptations by taking these different supplements. Okay. So it's more of a marginal type of benefit. And then again, the list of ingredients or products that actually offer those benefits are again, rather small. So if we look at what that list looks like, this is pretty much it. These are, are, are pretty much the ingredients that have been kind of supported through different scientific studies to show some kind of improvement in performance. 
Okay, and the first two on this list, protein and carbohydrates, I, I included an asterisk there because those are, again, more food-based ingredients that you could easily get from diet alone. The only advantage of consuming protein or carbohydrates in supplement form, so this could be something like a protein shake, um, you know, protein powder, you know, sports drinks, if, you know, carbohydrate gels, things like that. If you want to think of those as a supplement, um, again, the only advantage of, of using those types of products versus consuming whole foods would just be the convenience factor, right? It's a lot easier to walk out of a lifting session and, you know, just add water to a protein shaker and consume a protein shake than it is to grill a chicken breast, you know, as you're walking out of the weight room. So uh, again, there's nothing that much more advantageous of consuming these nutrients being protein and carbohydrate in supplement form versus whole foods other than again, just the convenience factor. So, you know, just something to consider there. And if we all get into some of the specifics in terms of dosing and amounts, but for protein, we've kind of talked about this in previous episodes, but you know, 1.4 to two grams per kilogram of body weight is oftentimes the recommended daily protein intake. So that would be total throughout an entire day. And then about 15 to 40, you know, maybe downwards to 20 to 30 is sufficient in terms of how much protein should be included per serving. So that would be a good amount uh, after a workout or after a competition to again, promote that recovery process. For carbohydrates, the recommended daily intake, again, is gonna be about five to eight grams per kilogram, uh, depending on the type of athlete you are or the volume of training that you're doing. Uh, if we look at more acute ingestion, you really only need it for durations that are longer than an hour. So if you're participating in games or sporting events, practices, training sessions that are longer than an hour, then it might be a good idea to include some kind of carbohydrate uh, supplement. Again, that could be a sports drink, gel, wafer, uh, whatever your preferred delivery modality is. And that amount would be about 30 to 60 grams um, per hour, excuse me, 30, 60 grams per hour, not minute uh, throughout that session. So moving down on the list in terms of more well-supported supplement ingredients that are out there, creatine, uh, caffeine, L-citrulline, um, very similar to dietary nitrates, beta alanine. And then I included pre-workout supplements on here. I'm not a huge fan of these for younger athletes. Um, but in reality, most of pre-workout supplements are just going to be a combination of these other items or other ingredients on the list. So again, it's just a little bit more convenient form or mode of delivery to get these ingredients by just taking one particular product as opposed to combining, you know, six different ingredients, uh, for example. And then I also have some more health um, related supplements. Some of them will offer some performance advantages as well as well. Uh, and again, if you're a healthier athlete, you're likely to be a more well-performing athlete. So that's kind of the rationale there. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of go through each one of these individually, just kind of provide some background and then some specific recommendations on that ingredient. So we've got protein. We mentioned this already and carbohydrates, nothing magical about getting them in supplement form, just a, a slightly more convenient source. So for protein, it would be about 20 to 30 grams uh, pre or post competition could help. And then with carbohydrates, again, for those longer duration events, 
you know, aiming for about 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour. And that can be in any type of form, you know, sports drinks, I would say are probably the most common and most well tolerated. And then you also get the advantage of replacing any fluids lost during that activity. Um, so the next one on here, creatine, this is one that I, I probably get asked the most on. Uh, there seems to also be the most misconceptions out there when it comes to creatine. Sometimes people misconstrue it as a steroid uh, or it being inherently dangerous for athletes, even younger athletes to be consuming. And the reality is that's not really the case. There's a lot of well done research out there supporting the safety and efficacy of creatine for athletes of all ages. Okay, and that does include high school athletes. And we're actually about to start a new study, probably this fall, looking at more the long-term safety implications for athletes consuming creatine. So keep an eye out for some of those research findings, hopefully coming um, within the next year. So if we, if we first start with what is creatine, it's actually an amino acid-like compound. You can get it from food sources. So it's found in different animal-based products, meat, um, you know, some dairy products, et cetera. And you do actually produce it endogenously within the body, just not in large enough amounts to get the same benefits that we can get from supplementing with it in more of a concentrated form. So what creatine does is we actually store creatine within muscle cells within the body, and they help provide provide more of a short-term source of energy. And again, you're really just enhancing your, your currently available internal stores of creatine. So everyone walking around has creatine stored within the muscle right now. We can just increase that amount by 15 to 20, maybe even upwards to 30 to 40% of what's stored within the muscle if we supplement with it. So you can kind of saturate your muscle creatine stores within the body if you supplement it with supplement with it. And again, what you're then doing in terms of how it can help from a performance standpoint is any type of high intensity intermittent bout of activity. So repeat sprints, you know, working sets within a weight room or strength conditioning setting, instead of, you know, only being able to get eight reps, you might have enough energy to get nine or 10 reps, or in terms of slowing down on your last couple of sprints, you might be able to maintain that velocity and power output a little bit longer before you become fatigued. So what that does over time, if you're able to get a few more reps, sprint a little bit longer for a little bit faster pace, over time, again, you're going to experience improvements beyond what you normally would in terms of those different training adaptations. So again, there's nothing magical. And again, you have to really put in the work when it comes to getting the most out of uh, creatine in terms of a supplement. You're not really just going to take it and experience these large improvements in, in training adaptations. The way it works, kind of quote unquote, is by just providing that additional source of energy during those high intensity bouts of activity. So over time, you'll just be able to train harder, faster, or include, you know, a higher training volume to really capitalize and enhance those training benefits over time. So if we look at the dosing strategies for creatine, uh, you can do a loading dose and there's nothing magical about it. You don't need to do it. What you're doing is you're just going to reach that saturation level of creatine within the muscle that much faster. So if you need to ramp up creatine stores for a preseason training period, 
you could load up and do you know anywhere from 10 to 20 grams a day uh, but certainly lower dosages are going to be just fine so three to five grams per day is typically what i recommend and you don't need to cycle off or on it you could just maintain that maintenance dose of three to five grams per day forever if you wanted to there's a lot of health benefits of, of supplementing with creatine so it's not just limited to athletes um, Again, even for pregnant women, for older adults, the list goes on in terms of the different populations that can benefit from creatine supplementation. So, uh, again, moral of the story, it's one of the most well-researched, well-supported dietary supplements. I would say the most effective uh, or beneficial for athletes. Supplementing with about three to five grams a day is going to be sufficient. Uh, it does appear to be safe for all populations, with maybe the exception of individuals with you know, kidney disorders, certainly if you've donated kidney, uh, I would again, just consult with a physician prior to supplementing if that's the case. And then performance improvements oftentimes are noted, you know, anywhere from one week and up to two weeks, and then certainly beyond that moving forward. So uh, certainly again, one that I, I tend to recommend for athletes. And again, it does appear to be safe even for high school athletes. So typically minimal adverse events or side effects reported from it um, with the one exception of, of weight gain. And oftentimes that comes in the form of fat-free mass, which is generally a, a desired effect for athletes anyway, particularly ones competing in more strength and power uh, type sports. So the next one on kind of my top supplement list would be beta alanine. So beta alanine is an amino acid that actually serves as a precursor for what's called an intramuscular buffer. So that's kind of a technical term for a substance that we produce within the body. It's within our muscles. And what it does is it buffers against the production of hydrogen ions, or it kind of buffers against an acidic environment that we have within our muscles when we're doing high intensity work. So if anyone's ever been in the weight room or done repeat sprint type workouts and you feel that sensation like your legs are on fire or whatever your muscle that you're targeting, uh, again, just feels like it's, it's burning. You get this burning sensation. Well, that's the acidic environment within the muscle. That's an accumulation of hydrogen ions that's going to happen uh, because that's a metabolic byproduct of doing intense activities. So what beta alanine then can do is to help buffer against that. So you just may not notice the same degree of that burning sensation during high intensity types of activities. So again, similar to creatine, you might be able to get a few more reps, uh, maintain a faster pace when you're sprinting before that burning sensation or that fatigue just kind of takes over and you're forced to stop or slow down or do whatever you're doing or stop doing whatever you're doing, excuse me. In terms of dosing, uh, about four to six grams of beta alanine per day is generally the recommended dose. And, and with beta alanine, oftentimes we, we require a little bit longer period of time before we start seeing some uh, more noticeable improvements in performance. And again, this is gonna be an ingredient that's probably more beneficial for anaerobic type athletes. Uh, and what that means is individuals who do a lot of high intensity intermittent bouts of activity. So sprinters, weightlifters, soccer players, basketball players, uh, lacrosse, rugby, football, you know, those types of high intensity intermittent sports. It does, uh, similar to creatine, appear to be safe for athletes to be consuming. The one side effect that is actually frequently reported with beta alanine is this effect called paresthesia. Uh, and what that means is you actually will kind of feel like a tingling or prickly 
sensation uh, of the skin. So it kind of feels like you're walking through a pine tree a little bit. Some athletes hate it and some love it. Some kind of love it because they feel like they can sense that that ingredient is kind of kicking in quote unquote. Uh, but others it's too irritating and they just don't really like that sensation. So just FYI, if you're considering taking beta alanine, or if you've taken a product and all of a sudden you feel itchy, um, your skin's tingling, it's probably the beta alanine in that product. That's, that's resulting in that effect. Nitrates is the next uh, type of supplement or ingredient on this list. Nitrates will help you increase blood flow to the muscles during exercise. Uh, and by doing so, you're, you're generally going to reduce the cost, quote unquote, of exercise, meaning you won't have to work quite as hard um, in terms of your heart and lungs to, to pump out blood to your working muscles during activities. Here, again, we're not going to see as drastic of a performance improvement compared to what we see for beta alanine and certainly what we see for creatine. But uh, research has, has shown that even performance improvements from you know upwards to two to six percent can happen. Uh, typically, it's been shown to be beneficial for more endurance type athletes, uh, cyclists, triathletes, runners. You could probably extend some of those performance improvements to sports like soccer and lacrosse as well, because that improved blood flow is likely to help those athletes as well. We just need some more research to kind of confirm um, those hypotheses. So in terms of the recommended dose for nitrates, you need about six to 12 millimoles per day. Um, if we convert that to milligrams, that's about 400 to 900 milligrams per day. And nitrates, you could certainly get from a lot of vegetables, particularly leafy greens. The issue is you need to consume a lot of leafy greens to get that 400 to 900 milligrams of nitrates. Um, and again, the other issue with food sources of this is the nitrate content of those vegetables is going to be highly variable. It's dependent on the time of the year that those crops are harvested, soil quality, uh, storage preparation methods, etc. So sometimes consuming it in a powdered form is a lot easier to just standardize the dose and know exactly how much of that ingredient that you're getting. Um, may not be or it's often not associated with adverse events. So it's, it appears to be safe for consumption and likely beneficial in terms of a lot of health benefits by consuming a higher nitrate source. I will say some of them are not the best tasting. It's kind of got a bitter taste to it. And then it will stain the heck out of your clothes uh, if you spill it. So just be cautious if you're taking nitrates, um, just because again, it can stain even skin temporarily or and certainly clothing. The next ingredient on the list in terms of supplements that appear to be beneficial performance would be caffeine. I try not to recommend um, that young athletes, high school athletes consume caffeine, mostly because it it could just can heighten a lot of the stress and anxiety that a lot of adolescent athletes oftentimes are already experiencing. And the fact that it can certainly interrupt sleep habits or sleep patterns. So it's not my favorite ingredient to recommend for younger athletes. Um, I also understand they're probably going to take it anyway, <laughs> regardless of what I say. So uh, at least providing some information and, and kind of recommendations then. So caffeine, just like a lot of people would expect, the, the way it works is just because it offers some stimulant-like effects within the body. So it increases 
ratings of energy, alertness. Uh, it, can, it can improve reaction time, cognitive function. And again, that can then translate to more performance-related benefits. So a lot of research has shown that even acute ingestion, meaning you just take some caffeinated beverage once, can improve strength, power, muscle endurance, you know, exercise capacity, and so forth. Oftentimes, it's recommended to consume whatever that caffeine source is about one hour prior to training or competition. I will offer some some advice in terms of competition, again, going back to the anxiety concerns, you know, just be careful taking that before a game. You don't want to get too amped up, too jittery, because again, maybe that leads to worse performance than if you weren't to take that at all. So again, just a bit of caution there. And then in terms of the amounts, uh, I would say about 150 to 300 milligrams um, per serving would be the highest I would ever recommend a younger athlete to be consuming. It is going to be somewhat dependent on body size. So larger athletes might be able to get um, higher end. So maybe upwards to 250 to 300 milligrams. I wouldn't recommend that to a, a younger, smaller athlete, certainly someone who is new to caffeine, that's going to make them feel like they're about ready to jump off a wall. So that equates to about one to two cups of coffee. And that again, is usually my most recommended delivery method. Um, instead of doing, you know, energy drinks and pre-workout supplements, because again, there's a high amount of other stimulants that are commonly found in some of those. Uh, they're just not my favorite types of products to be recommending to, to younger athletes. So if a high schooler is wanting to consume caffeine for performance benefits, or if they're tired or want a little extra energy, I'll, again, I'll just steer them towards regular brewed coffee. These happen to be my two favorite brands and flavors here on this list. No, I'm not sponsored by them, but I would certainly welcome any kind of sponsorship if they want to throw free coffee my way. Um, and again, the other thing to be aware of with caffeine is it can be very habit forming. So there are withdrawal symptoms if you don't consume it um, after your regular consumer. So it can result in headache, um, irritability, things like that. People probably experience that firsthand already. Um, but again, the reason I mentioned that is just because of the, the nocebo type effects, meaning if you regularly consume caffeine, you think it works, and then all of a sudden you're not able to consume it one day, mentally in your head, you might have it that, oh, I'm not going to work out well, or I'm not going to compete well today because I didn't get my caffeine. So it can kind of have some of those adverse effects um, just by not consuming it on that particular day. Uh, the other ones, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on these. I'm going to keep it more performance focused for this episode, but some other kind of health related dietary supplements that are likely beneficial for, for certain athletes would be fish oil, some kind of multivitamin, and then iron if needed. And again, that's the big caveat for all of these. You don't want to kind of blindly dose any supplement, certainly ones like vitamins, uh, you know, fish oil, you'd probably be okay on but iron would be a big one that you wouldn't want to overdose on or take too much of. So all of these, you can have labs drawn to check what your omega-3 index is, what your iron status is, vitamin status, certainly vitamin D. Although vitamin D is one that I will recommend oftentimes for athletes during the winter months up in the you know upper Midwest part of the country, because we don't see the sun a lot. So a lot of us are vitamin D deficient in the winter months. But again, you can get labs drawn to find out specifically what your number is or what your lab value is to better direct your supplement needs. 
if you have questions, concerns, certainly reach out to me and, you know, I can help you get labs ordered and kind of walk you through how to interpret those lab values to, again, provide some recommendations on how much you should be taking. So again, I, I try not to recommend that people just blindly take these because they've heard they're safe or they can help. It's good to get labs drawn to find out for sure how much you should be taking or if you even need it at all. Okay, specifically for iron, if you're not iron deficient, taking more iron is not going to really help you. And there's certainly some some side effects and, and things to worry about in terms of getting too much of that in the diet. So that's kind of my my soapbox moment for that. Another, I guess, question with all of these then is whether or not supplements are safe. Okay, this is probably one of the most popular or common questions that I get asked. And like a lot of people, I'll give you the, the generic, it depends type of response. Um, one big thing with dietary supplements is not all brands or products are made equally. So not all of them follow what's called good manufacturing pro, um, procedures or processes. So maybe the equipment that they use isn't cleaned thoroughly. Um, maybe they cross contaminate with other products. Maybe they don't have the adequate quality control measures in place. Um, they don't test for contaminants, heavy metals, they don't label their products accurately, et cetera. And so there's no real easy answer then in terms of how much um, or how you know, good or safe one particular product is without knowing some of those specifics. So I have this kind of illustration up here of, you know, somewhere to ask you is water safe, you'd have to kind of respond with, well, it, it depends. Are you drinking, you know, filtered distilled bottled water? Are we drinking water from a pond? Uh, are you drinking salt water from the ocean, right? So each one of those is, you're going to provide a different answer. And it's almost similar to, um, in terms of dietary supplements what brand are we talking about? What product is it? Did they do any third-party testing on it? Has the label been verified? Uh, did they check for heavy metals? How much of it are you taking? Where did you buy it from? You know, so there's a lot of questions that you kind of need to ask to adequately answer that question of, is this a good supplement or is it safe? And it's not even as simple of just saying you, you get what you pay for. It, it sometimes can work maybe on the extremes. Um, you know, if you, come tell me, Hey, I got a hundred pounds of protein powder from some guy in a back alley. He only charged me five bucks. But yeah. That's probably not a safe supplement to be taking. Right. Um, so again, just be a little bit cautious there. And again, feel free to reach out to me if you ever have an ingredient or a brand, you can text me a picture and say, Hey, what do you think of this? I get that all the time, uh, when it comes to supplements, but just some other things that will play a role here when we answer that question of are supplements safe? Um, just some other kind of risks, I guess, with supplement uses, the concern with inadvertent, inadvertent doping or adulteration of products, meaning there's certain ingredients, oftentimes banned ingredients that get added to supplements sometimes uh, that are generally not safe for consumption. Sometimes uh, they could lead to a positive drug test. So this is really important for athletes who are drug tested. Uh, there's also a concern with cross-contamination. So if it's manufactured in a facility that makes a variety of different products, um, this is, again, important if you're a vegan or if you're allergic to certain ingredients. If they're cross-contaminating equipment and, and ingredients get mixed up, again, that's certainly something to be aware of. Spiking in, in fillers, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on that, but sometimes that's a concern. And then certainly heavy metals, pesticides, herbicides, again, if they're not getting their raw ingredients from, um, you know, good 
original or raw ingredient sources. Again, there's going to be a risk for safety concerns in those situations. So the last kind of issue or risk with supplement use is this term that I kind of came up with called poly supplementation. So if you're taking a multivitamin, if you're taking a five hour energy in the day, uh, you're also taking a pre-workout and then you're taking some mass gainer and then maybe you're doing sports drinks or other kind of electrolyte type drinks throughout that day, you might be getting mega doses of B vitamins or um, stimulants or caffeine, a lot of different ingredients that you just may not have paid close attention to. And if taken individually or just one of those products, it might be okay. But if you're taking eight of them throughout the day, again, you can be approaching dangerous levels for some of those ingredients. So again, just a word of caution there. And certainly that applies to taking more than one recommended serving size. So don't double scoop, triple scoop, things like that. When it comes to different supplements, thinking more is going to be better because again, your risk for adverse events goes, goes higher and higher. So a little bit more on that inadvertent doping. This again is a, a fairly common issue. Unfortunately, if you just do a search on Google Scholar, you'll see several studies that have found uh, when they test different supplement products on the shelves, you know, sometimes 10 to 20% of those have been found to contain any kind of banned substance, sometimes steroid derivatives, illegal stimulants, and things like that, that A, uh, again, generally aren't going to be safe for you, especially younger athletes to be consuming. But then B, if you're ever drug tested or, you know, some representative from a sporting organization sees you um, or hears about you taking that product, you could be banned from competition. Okay. So this happens, you know, not all the time, but there's certainly examples of it in the professional sports world. Uh, this is one that happened with a UFC fighter. Um, so again, there's, there's handfuls of these stories out there and oftentimes they are kind of confirmed to be inadvertent doping cases when they, they test the original source of that product. Oftentimes they find some type of illegal stimulant or steroid derivative that wasn't supposed to be in there. Mislabeling is, a, is another common risk uh, or issue that we see sometimes with supplement products, meaning what's on the label isn't always what's actually in the product itself. So when they test it, um, you know, through third party or some kind of independent research lab testing these types of products, they'll find a high amount of variability between what's on the label and what's actually in that powder itself. So again, just something to be cautious of, you know, that can be somewhat concerning for, you know, things like caffeine or other stimulants that are sometimes in those products. If you're getting three times more than what's on the label, again, that's definitely going to be concerning. So some things to look for when you're kind of shopping around at different products and brands is, you know, seals that kind of signify that company or brand follows good manufacturing practices or GMPs. So oftentimes they'll have some type of seal of approval on that particular product, meaning there's been a kind of an outside entity or independent group that has just kind of verified that that facility or brand again, follow some of those good manufacturing practices. Uh, there's also organizations that are third-party testing companies where they'll test different products out there on the market, um, test them for banned ingredients, heavy metals, you know, pesticides, things like that. And then they'll kind of put their seal of approval on that particular product. So again, this is very important for athletes to make sure you're choosing products. I would argue even non-athletes, you don't want to be taking something that 
is going to be harmful for your health, right? So um, those products that have that third-party testing and kind of seal of approval will have any one of these different um, kind of stickers or labels somewhere on that product. So BSCG is probably one of the better ones. NSF certified for sport um, is the third party group that a lot of professional sport organizations um, kind of abide by. So they won't even provide any supplements that don't have this label on them. So they just know these are really the only ones that they trust their athletes to be taking. So again, when, when someone asks me what's a good brand or what's a good product, I always recommend starting here. Make make sure whatever product you're taking has at least one of these different labels on them. That's a good place to start in terms of answering that. Is this a good or safe product to consume? Right. So this at least you know signifies that some other entity has test that tested that product and make sure it it has what's supposed to be in it and nothing else. So again, these are just kind of different tiers or levels of regulation or third party involvement. Um, in terms of what each of these different labels mean and who that might be important for, why it's important to kind of pay attention to that. Another important thing to kind of cross-reference is whatever sporting organization oversees or governs your sport. So if you're a high school athlete in Wisconsin, we have the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, the WIAA. They have their own list available on their website of permissible supplements. And then they also have a list of discouraged supplements or ingredients. Oftentimes coaches, uh, you know, strength coaches, athletic trainers are, are really recommended not to discuss supplements with their athletes. They kind of take a, a no tolerance type of policy, just kind of discouraging their use. Uh, so in those events, you know, if you have questions, ask your coach or ask me, you know, maybe I can come talk to your team uh, or so forth. I can, I'm happy to kind of serve as that reference on some of these questions because I understand coaches sometimes have their hands tied. They're not really supposed to, you know, be providing a lot of guidance on this. Um, and so I'm happy to kind of step in and, and be that sounding board or that kind of reference when it comes to you know, answering some of these questions that athletes or even coaches or, or parents may have on these particular products. But again, make sure you're checking with your sport organization, WIA. Um, you know, if you're an athlete competing in a more Olympic type sports, USA track and field, weightlifting, powerlifting, some of those things, uh, you know, again, they have different sporting organizations that govern uh, their sport. So make sure you're checking with those lists. Um, there's some good references out there. Um, Drug-Free Sport Access is a good organization that has a lot of helpful information on this. Um, these are some products and brands that I, I typically recommend. I think they do a pretty good job when it comes to, um, you know, quality products. They all subscribe to that third-party testing that I referenced earlier. So oftentimes those are good brands to look for. See, last one here is again just an, another list of some resources. If people are looking for more information about some of the things I discussed in this episode, certainly check out any one of these. Uh, for athletic departments, sometimes apps like this can be a good resource. You can type in a product name or ingredient uh, within this app and it'll kind of search uh, for that product and make sure it doesn't include any ingredients that are, are banned by the NCAA or um, you know some high school athletic associations, et cetera. So that's is a good, this can be a good resource. And then certainly all these different websites have a lot of good information about some of the different ingredients we, we discussed today, some that I didn't quite get to, and then just other topics regarding safety and efficacy of different supplements. So 
just a, some take-home messages. Most dietary supplements, again, in my opinion, aren't really needed. A lot of them don't really offer a lot of, you know, robust performance improvements, especially for younger athletes. In my experience, optimizing their training program, uh, making sure they're getting in good quality food sources first, um, getting enough sleep, making sure you're incorporating recovery in. All of those things, if you check those boxes, you're going to get way more bang for your buck, a much higher return on investment than if you don't do those things and you try to just, you know, compensate, I guess, by just taking a supplement. Oh, I didn't sleep well, so I'm just going to take caffeine in the morning or oh, I didn't eat well today, so I'm just going to take a multivitamin and scoop of protein and call it good. You're missing a lot of low hanging fruit, um, you know, by not checking those other boxes first. So again, just, I always recommend a whole food approach first. So try to get all those nutrients ingredients in through the diet by consuming kind of a well-balanced, healthy diet that we've discussed in earlier episodes. If you still have some of those deficiencies through lab work, or you're just not getting enough through the food, then supplements can sometimes help fill that gap a little bit. But Again, most of those supplements that we discussed, they really only work if you do, right? You still have to be following a structured training program. Within that training program, you still have to provide max effort for any of those to, again, offer some of those performance advantages. So it's not as simple as just taking protein or creatine and, and kind of half-assing your workout and hoping to get all these, you know, incredible benefits or, or performance benefits out of it. That's not how any of these work. So again, those low hanging fruit items and checking those boxes of sleep recovery, um, inadequate nutrition are by far going to give you way more benefit and return on investment than any of these individual supplements could ever provide. So again, the list of effective ones is pretty small, right? Protein, uh, carbohydrates, the more nutrition based ones, creatine, beta alanine, caffeine, and nitrates. That'd be about it. Those are really the only ones that I think are worth the money and really offer any kind of performance advantages uh, by regularly consuming those. And again, make, make sure you're always consuming a high quality product or high quality brand. Um, and I make sure you kind of reference back to some of the things we discussed earlier on how to determine what is a good product from a bad one. And I think that's about it. These are the list of references. If you ever want to read into some of the work that we've done on, you know, various different supplements or kind of certainly other reviews out there on these topics. So I'll provide that list to people and make sure you keep an eye out for our next episode.